A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. I have with me today Kara Zilas. Kara is in Sydney, Australia, so she has been. She's up really well, really early for us, um, or maybe really late, technically. You know, when we record the show. Um, having said that, Kara uh, is the author of a really interesting book, "Big uh, Big World of Little Dude." And uh, she's got really some 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 great stuff she's she's done with her work on kids. But let's let's start out with a question of all together. So, big world of little dude, Kara. Who is little dude? Little dude is a real dog. He is a therapy dog, and he's been trained with the Good Dog Foundation. And he is, you know, the inspiration of what started this journey for me to create big world of little dude. And I'll kind of start with a story of just a transformative moment for me that sparked my imagination and my feelings of why teaching kindness and empathy was important for children. So little dude and I volunteer with the Good Dog Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization in New York City, and they help train dogs to go into facilities like hospitals, schools, aged care facilities. And we, our first um, experience as a good dog uh, therapy team, we've been doing it for eight years, was at a pediatrics ICU at New York Presbyterian Hospital. So we would go into the pediatrics ICU and visit with children and we would see nurses and doctors Um, as well as family members. So one day as I was entering the hospital, I was getting into the elevator and a lady ran in and like opened the elevator so it didn't close all the way and she jumped in and she said, excuse me, is that a therapy dog? And I said, yes. And she said, you know, I was just having a conversation with my cousin who is dying. He is going to pass away really soon. And we were standing around his bed saying how sad it was that he was never going to see a a dog again. And she said, would you be so kind as to come and visit uh, my cousin? And so I said, of course. So after I visited the pediatrics ICU, I went to find this man and his family. And as I walked into his room, I just saw a man lying on a bed He was very sallow, um, laying very still, and I asked if I could put little dude on his bed, and I did, and one of the family members took his hand and put it on little dude's back, and his eyes opened, and they were like, isn't this so wonderful? You love dogs. This is amazing. You get to see a dog for the very last time, and it was just this experience where I thought, wow, just small act of kindness has changed this atmosphere or this moment in time to be something positive. And I got out of it as much as they got out of it. And it was that idea that I wanted to teach to children. I was like, how can I teach that to children? 
So then I started to bring Little Dude into the classroom that I was in, and that's just where it all began. So just to give you a bit of background, um, I grew up in Sydney, Australia, but lived in New York for 10 years, and um, I've always had a love for children, and I uh, did a, um, an education degree in primary education or elementary education taught in schools. And then when I moved to New York, I became a Montessori teacher. And then that's when I started to bring little dude into the classroom. And I was really lucky that I was at this amazing school, Westside Montessori school. And they allowed me to bring little dude into the classroom. And then that's how the big world of little dude was born. Um, I started to tell our story. So why, what little dude does and about the idea of kindness. And then that is the essence of big world of little dude is about being kind to others. And then I saw an unmet need in the classroom. Why aren't we teaching young children in that preschool age group? What is kindness? What is empathy? What is respect? Um, what are manners in an explicit way? We teach we go to such great lengths to teach letters and numbers and colors and art and how to blow your nose and all those practical and academic skills. However, why aren't we teaching children about kindness and empathy? Why isn't that in the curriculum? And then I decided to write a book series covering social and emotional themes and uh, lessons and curriculum to go along with it. And then I just started to organically go into classrooms to New York public library to different libraries throughout New York city and New Jersey bookstore readings and started teaching social and emotional skills to young children. And yeah, that, that's uh, what an outstanding story, uh, you know? And so mm. um, how did that, uh, maybe I missed it in the beginning, but how did that then evolve? I mean, so you had little dude, but what, what got you into thinking about using him as a therapy dog? He gave us so much love. We were overwhelmed by the love that he gave us. And he was such a special dog. He was so sweet and kind and intuitive and helped us when we were feeling sad. So I just really wanted to do some volunteer work. And I thought, oh, this would be a really interesting opportunity to do something together. And then it just I had no expectations of it. When I walked into that pediatrics ICU for the first time, I had no idea what to expect. And I was blown away by the people who I met and um, just other people's stories that you don't see in necessarily in society. You don't see, you don't come into contact with children who have severe illness or severe um, issues that are never going to be resolved. Um, or people who have cancer or people who are very, very old and are lonely or children who have autism, things like that, that you just met a whole different group of people that I got to encounter and experience. And that gave me more empathy and more gratitude. And it just gave me back so much that I wanted to translate that into my teaching. Yeah, it's it's interesting because... You know, it's a great example of how an experience can change 
change a person's life. And there are a lot of people who go through life without those kind of experiences. And, you know, it, 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 they, they, they live their life based on expectations or, you know, just what's in their head. And you, and you can get kind of all kinds of reactions. I mean, right now, uh, kindness is in um, short supply, it seems in the world right now. Mm. You know, if, if mm. you take a look at everything, you know, things that happen in the, in the internet, thing that, things that happen in the news. Um, I was watching, um, I forget what we were watching one night, um, and uh, Dr. Phil was being interviewed. And, you know, he, he made the comment, I thought it was interesting, he said, you know, we've gotten to this point in our society where um, you, you can't really debate or share different sides on things. You, you, you almost are forced to take a side, and that means you're forced to, to hate somebody. And he said, where has the kindness gone? Why do we have to hate each other? Why can't we find a way and accept people for where they are? But instead, you know, we have the cancel culture, as, as people are calling it, and, you know, acquisitions fly, and um, sometimes it's like people are guilty till proven innocent, but then they don't even get a chance to prove themselves innocent. And so there, there's really seems to be a shortness, uh, shortness of supply of kindness. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. We are in a very hostile environment right now, spurred on by many different things. But the good news is, and I always try and find the positives, is that in education, there is a swing in policy to start incorporating social and emotional learning in curriculum. So there is a lot of research being done, especially in America and Europe, and now starting in Australia too, of the effects of social and emotional learning in curriculum. So putting it into the curriculum that it can be um, something that has to be taught, you know, that's in the curriculum by statewide policy, you know, it's something that schools have to, to, to employ and also tested. How do we test social and emotional skills? So there's a lot of, you know, research going into that as well. So I think there is some positive um, things happening for the younger generation. And I think that that starts with schools. That was um, something we really felt, um, we really felt blessed with for my daughter the school that she went to from a young age, they had, um, they had like their values system, right? Their core values. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they literally taught them all those kind of value systems, but it it wasn't something I don't think that was the norm because friends of ours that were at different schools would never tell us about that stuff. They'd say, Oh, you know, that sounds really great. Uh, but I wish they would do that at, at our, you know, at our school, I wish they would teach these things. And it was, um, it was really very powerful. I mean, they worked very, very hard on, you know, ensuring that, you know, there was, you know, well, the school had a lot of diversity to it, you know, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, and so they learned different perspectives. They learned to challenge and everything. And so I thought that was really, really great. And it, it, it makes me feel good to hear that it's starting to become more and more mainstream. Now, having said that, when, when you talk about, you know, the, you know, the social emotional intelligence as a curriculum, those kind of things, um, certainly, you know, you, you started this with a discussion about kindness and teaching kindness, but what does it look like in a curriculum? What are, what are some of the other aspects of it that they're bringing to play to, to raise the awareness of these children? Um, I think at the root of kindness is empathy. And it kind of brings back to your point about cancel culture or not being able to debate, to debate, or um, we don't listen anymore. We just hear our own voice and we listen and read the only things that 
makes sense to us or that we agree with rather than saying, okay, someone has a really different view from me. Let's understand why they feel that way and try and get more of an understanding more on a deeper level of why they might feel disenfranchised or why they might have such an extreme view. Like why? And that's what I think is most interesting. Like why does someone have a different belief system to me? And the nature of what the world is everyone is going to have different opinions and different beliefs. And it's all linked on where they were born, how they were growing up, socioeconomic. There's so many factors that come into play. And I think empathy is at the root of understanding others' emotions and how others think and believe. And I think teaching that is a really important skill. And that can be for children and for adults. There's in, in my mind, you know, as, as I listen to you, there, there's a step though, that, that at least for an adult, it's one thing to have it in the curriculum, but mm-hmm. as adults, we almost have to choose to be empathetic, don't we? I mean, you know, there, there's a choice that has to be made because because I've I've known so many people that that won't even go down go go down that way or or empathy feels touchy feely. You know, how do we do that in the business world? And you know, that's that's not what we do. Um, but there has to be a choice to be willing to to try to understand somebody else's point of view. Yeah, well, I think that from a perspective of a company and for adults and from business, there's such positive outcomes from empathy. You know, you have employee retention is higher and we all know that that is an issue for companies because people can just kind of flip-flop to different jobs. Some there's a better offer, they're going to go. It fosters productivity and customers prefer it. They prefer to shop from a company that is empathetic, that is kind, that is doing something good for the world. So I think those positive outcomes should drive companies to be more empathetic because the outcomes are positive. Yeah, it, it absolutely should. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully start understanding it. I mean, you know, certainly with the clients that I've been working with, we're seeing a, a movement toward that. Um, sometimes it feels like the movement is, is, you know, because they feel like they have to versus that they mm-hmm. want to, but I'm not sure that that's a bad mm-hmm. thing either. I mean, sometimes you go down one way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, people don't like to be pushed out of their comfort zone or pushed to do something, try something new. Yeah. And especially if it's around these ideas of like, uh, soft skills, but really, you know, we're a community, your workplace is a community. You're going to want to foster ideas of kindness and empathy within your workplace. Yeah. You know, the good news is there's a lot of people talking about it today. I mean, with, with, you know, all the negative that, that we talked about a few minutes ago mm-hmm. with the cancel culture, there's also, I mean, there are thought leaders like Brene Brown is, is a good example. Mm-hmm. Who, she may not always use the word empathy, but she talks about vulnerability, building trust, you know, trying to understand, you know, what holds you back, you know, dare to lead, you know, about getting out there and, and really, you know, understanding others and how it all works together. It's, I think it's a very, very powerful movement and um, you know I'm wondering what has driven it um, 
a little bit as well. But we're actually already up on our first break. So the time flies really quickly, doesn't it, Cara? (laughs) Yes, it does. So we're going to take a quick break here, and um, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Cara Zilas. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Cara. Um, Cara, I'm kind of curious. So, you know, there has been more empathy starting to show up. I mean, back in the 90s, Daniel Goleman showed up on the the, the scene. Uh, for those of you who may not know who, who Daniel Goleman is, he really started the work on emotional intelligence. And years ago, we never talked about emotional intelligence in the workplace. Now there's emotional intelligence assessments, all this kind of stuff. And empathy is a part of it. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, from your opinion, what do you think are some of the drivers? Why is this starting to really show up right now? Uh, I think that we are evolving as a human people and as, and as we evolve, we are becoming more open to accepting other people for who they are and meeting them where they are rather than putting everyone in a box. Um, if you look at gay marriage 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been acceptable, but now it is part of mainstream culture to be 100% okay with most people. Obviously, there's still some people who are, you know, don't accept it. Um, and the same with transgender children. Like, that wouldn't, when I grew up, there was no transgender children. I wouldn't even know what that is. But my children, even though she's five, she's starting to understand that other people are different and that that's okay. Um, and I think that it's, just as we evolve and we become more empathetic and understand where others are coming from, that, uh, um, that, that is the way that we change. And I think with the younger generation, with Gen Z, is that they've got so much access to information, um, which we didn't grow up with. And I think that makes a big difference. 
They're more aware of what's going on in the world. They're not so much in a vacuum or in a bubble. I mean, some children are. I'm just saying in general, we've got such access to information that they want to take part in how their future evolves. And I think they're more active in their world than we were growing up. They see the problems with the environment. They want to make a difference because it's their world that they're going to be growing into. So I think that that Gen Z or millennials are, yeah, they're more aware of what's going on and they want to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, sometimes people say, oh, they care more. I, I, I don't know if it's that they care more per se, but I do think that they're much more um, awake to it. They, you know, they, they understand yes. it and they recognize it and they don't tend to, I, I don't know that they tend to listen as much to the politics of some of the stuff that occurs. You know, they, they are in, in some regards, um, you know, I, I, well, I don't want to say they're smarter. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of smart people in, in every, every group, but, but they do seem to want to really self-educate and educate themselves. I mean, again, I think about my kids, that's the perspective and, and the awareness that they have of what's going on in the world is much, much greater than when I was at their age. I mean, well, I have to go back a lot of years when I was at their age, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we, we, again, that lack of, of news flow, the internet has helped. Now, the internet's probably hurt as well. There's as much misinformation as there are as there is good information, but I do feel like that they're out there trying to find find their way and find the right information. Um, yeah. how, how do you think this has evolved worldwide? So I'm kind of curious, you know, you, you made mention about how, you know, it started, you know, the, the curriculums have started in Europe and then, you know, came to the U.S. Now they're coming to Australia. Do you think that empathy in general has moved in the same direction or, um, you know, where, where do you think that this is stemming from worldwide and what have been the trends and patterns that you're seeing? Yeah, I think that it is transferring to the rest of the world. Like here in Australia, I just read a study that was comparing social and emotional learning curriculums to Asia, Asian countries and Australian countries. So I think that once it starts in the universities and they're starting to sort of really understand it and deep dive into the meta analytics of how programs um, are successful or not successful, I think that's where it starts to come from. And then it trickles down into government, trickles down into policy, and then it kind of has that trickle-down effect of, you know, then it trickles down into the workplace and then into our lexicon and then into the media. So I think that that is um, how sort of change starts. I, I'm kind of curious when you said Asia, we hadn't talked about Asia yet. We did talk about, you know, Europe and Australia and U.S., but, but um you know, I spent the first half of my life, I spent a lot of time in Japan. And mm. back then, and I'm, I'm going back over 20 years, I, I wouldn't have called the society a very empathetic society, at least not openly. I mean, you know, the, the people I dealt with, um, you know, they, they were certainly fun-loving, caring people. I mean, you could, you could see it. But you didn't, you know, you wouldn't see them talk openly about it. You know, if, if, you know, there were times where some of the people I work with would invite me to the house and you would see it in the house, but you just wouldn't see it out there in the world. And, and that's, you know, uh, Japan and um, Thailand were probably most of the time for me in the, in um, Asia, I didn't really ever spend any time in China, but do you see that they're starting to put those kind of things in the curriculum? I mean, you know, Asia has always worked really hard with the sciences 
mathematics. I mean, you know, they, they've, they've always had very strong education from what I would think of from a technical standpoint. But what about this, um, this other piece of it? Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, there would be certain Asian countries that are doing great work, um, especially that have like Hong Kong and Singapore, um, Japan, but it just comes down to government as well. Um, they've sort of been oppressed if you look in China. Um, so I think it depends on the government and if there's going to be a change. Absolutely understood. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious now if we go back to, to your work, you know, in the classroom and, and, um, and, uh, I'd like to know also a little bit more about the, the nonprofit, the foundation, how it's supporting others, but, um, you know, tell me, so how did you start implementing some of this learning yourself and as curriculums have grown you know obviously there will be standards but how did you design it because because you were a little, you were kind of cutting edge when you started doing this and was was there some trial and error did you just have a yes. gut feeling okay so so tell me and what worked and what didn't when teaching teaching children about empathy and kindness and 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 I'll add to it how can that affect some of the adults because I think if we as adults listen not only can we work with our kids but we can learn from this as well Yes. Well, I think that uh, when I started doing this, no one knew what social and emotional learning was when I would say that term, whereas now that is a word that is like a buzzword now. So how, um, how social long and emotional ago, learning. I, I never really asked, but when did you start with all of this? Uh, 2015. Yeah. Yeah, that was 2015. Yeah, so it was... Um, and it was just from personal experience in the classroom from little moments, like why aren't these kids saying please and thank you or hello or looking at you in the eyes and saying hello to you in the morning. Like, why aren't they doing this? And then I was like, I want to teach them that that is important part of building community and building a positive classroom environment. So why, um, why do you think it was? I mean, why, why do you think they, they weren't doing that? Um, I think... Look, I think social and emotional learning at that young age, it starts within the home. That's where the children are mostly. And I think that the importance of linking home and school is so important because, you know, we teach our children so much in school, but then when they go home, they could be hearing and learning a lot of other different things or it could be in contrast to what they're learning in school. So I think educating parents is part of the process, especially in that young age group. And I think parents want to know, they just don't know how. And then the pandemic really opened that can of worms because parents were now at home teaching their kids thinking, oh my gosh, I, I don't know how to teach my kids. I send them to school for that. Right. So it, it, it really showed that divide of what happens at school and what gets happens at home doesn't translate all the time. So I think it's really important for schools or communities to teach the parents what they're teaching in school so that the information carries back and forth. And I think that's an important part. And also when you have parents coming into the school learning it creates a community too. Um, and that's the whole idea of social and emotional learning is creating community, creating relationships, being self-aware, being understanding others. So, so I, it all links back to that. I am curious, you know, 
okay, so the the pandemic, and for anybody who's maybe listening to the podcast at some point in the future, right, when, when this becomes a recording, but, um, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we have learned how to live remotely, for lack of a better term. We don't necessarily like it, but we've learned mm-hmm. to. I mean, I was just talking, you know, um, talking with my wife, and we've, we've not really left the house in a year, I mean, for anything substantial. Mm-hmm. And... You know, business meetings have gone, you know, whether you Zoom or GoToMeeting or um, some other technology, we've gone to remote there. Schools have gone to remote education in many cases, though some of them are now half open for classes again. Um, for those who are the youngest in, in, those, in, in that age of, of being really impressionistic, has digital enabled their ability to learn things like empathy or has it hurt it? I personally think it's hurt it, especially for the young children. And I can just talk from experience. Like my five-year-old does not want to sit in front of a screen. That is not what engages her. And that's why I created the at-home school curriculum. So I kind of pivoted my business to add the uh, at-home lessons for children because my, I was like, well, I'm at home now with my five-year-old. What am I going to do with her? Oh, I'll start doing all these activities. And then my friends and community were saying, well, what are you doing at home? And so then I created these at-home lessons where I would do the activities with my children and it would be, you know, I would do create the lesson plans and then I would put it out into the universe. So in real time. So that's what I did in the pandemic for the first six weeks. I created a six week um, curriculum and then I sold that to sort of schools and parents and it's like a downloadable curriculum. It's very hands-on, simple to follow. And I think that's how children learn at that age is by doing. Yeah. Yeah, but we got to yeah. get them back together. I mean, we, we have to find oh a way gosh, to, to. To, to get them physically. And, in, in, you know, I mean, again, how better to learn kindness than, than when you have to actually act on it. And I, I, exactly. it is, it's hard to do that through a screen. It is very difficult to do that through a screen. Yes. But you can do things in your home where you can promote kindness um, about being kind to each other mm-hmm. and still kind to your community. You can do things like, collect items that your children aren't using in one of the reuse a recycler box, go around your home, collect books, gently use books, clothes that they're no longer using and get them to do it. Um, And so they're active participants. It's not you grabbing the things out of their room and then say, this is somewhere where we're going to donate it to. Oh, what's donation? Who would need these? And it kind of facilitates a conversation about others not having as much as you may have um, and how we should share what we have with others, especially if they're struggling. And it kind of opens up a conversation to talk about that idea of uh, being kind to others, giving to others, and it facilitates a conversation. So you can do things like that in your own home. You could cook for someone. Well, why are we cooking for someone? Why are we giving them food? Well, they may not have food. This is why. And you can explain it in, you know, whatever age your child is in in an appropriate way. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think volunteerism and having a cause is is important. I mean, for kids in particular, I, you know, I like that a lot of the schools are now building requirements for volunteerism. And, and you know, mm-hmm. of course, there would be the kids that go through the motion and check off their boxes. But, but I think many mm-hmm. will learn from it, especially if they find things that they're attached to. You know, yeah. um, you know here, I think starting younger is really important. Yes. Like I went, even with my daughter during the pandemic, we would get a big garbage bag and go for a nature walk and get some gloves and like it's fun for them like doesn't sound like that may not be that fun but you put on a big pair of kitchen gloves and a pair of gum boots and you go for a nature walk and you look oh my gosh there's so much trash on the floor and then you fill up the bag fill up the bag fill up the bag now every time we go out for a walk she's like someone's uh, left their litter Someone's got trash there. Someone's put trash in nature. Let's pick it up. So by doing something very simple, it 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 in it puts that message into the head that they carry they carry on. I mean, that was a year ago, and still my daughter is there's some trash. We should pick it up. Yeah, it's 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 such a good point. I mean, I, again, bless my wife. Um, has always helped volunteer. So have I and and we did get our kids involved very very at a very young age and my daughter off at college and my son, I mean, they just did something yesterday um, to help the community, my son and his, his girlfriend. And it's, it, it does, it does breed, I think in the long term, a better, better person. And unfortunately, I'm not sure that, you know, all the kids get that kind of exposure. You know, I, I, no. I think there are a lot of, lot of adults who, um, quite frankly, are just having a hard enough time keeping their head up, up above water, let alone trying mm-hmm. to do things for other people. And some, sometimes mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've known some people that it's almost be a luxury to be able to do something because because they they just you know their day to day life is just crazy. Um, but anyway, let, we'll continue this conversation in just a minute. So we're up we're up to our our next break. So stay tuned, mm-hmm. everybody. We'll be back with with Cara in just a um, just a couple of minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, 
please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Kara Zilas. Um, so, you know, I never really asked, asked um, earlier, but still curious about little dude, dude being a, a dog person. What, what kind of breed is he? Little dude is a breed called a fluff ball of love. And uh, that's a technical breed. Yeah. And he is actually a Shih Tzu Poodle. And he's lovely. He's just divine. He's so intuitive. He's so He just knows when you're feeling sad. And again, that gets back to the empathy and, you know, why it works so well as therapy dogs, because they just have an innate understanding and they have zero judgment. Yeah, so you mentioned you're in Sydney, obviously, and you go back and forth between Sydney and New York. Um, where, where's yes. Little Dude right now? Right now, Little Dude is new in New York with family, and he's in a, yeah, he's very happy, but we miss him terribly, terribly. But Australia has crazy quarantine rules, and I just can't put Little Dude on a plane all by himself. I just can't do it to him. I, I would hate to do it. So I'm putting myself in his shoes and I wouldn't want to do it in a cage under a plane for, you know, 24 hours at a minimum. So I just can't do that to him. And then they have to quarantine for three weeks in Australia. So I just can't do that to him. So he's safe and happy in New York and we will see him when we go back. Yeah, it's it's a it's a long trip for anybody who hasn't done it. I've I've done the Los Angeles to Sydney leg a couple of times and Oh, it's, it's a long time. It's a long time in the air. So, um, you know, this is totally off topic, but also curious, um, you know, given all the restrictions, um, you know, did you have to like quarantine? I mean, coming from New York to Sydney, I mean, what kind of restrictions do they put on you? Oh, wow. That was like the most unique experience. First of all, the plane was empty. Like there was, you you walk around the plane economy had maybe five people. Wow it felt like there was more people working on the plane than actually on the plane as guests. So there was 30, I think 30 passengers, 30 to 40 passengers. Um, And then when you get there, you're escorted off the plane by police Mm -hmm. and you're put through like a certain, like you have to go through certain checkpoints, temperature, et cetera, et cetera. It's like a very streamlined, amazing experience yeah and then you go through customs i mean the airport is empty uh you go and then you get escorted by the army into a bus and then you're told you're going to go to a hotel and we were put into a hotel for two weeks we were not allowed to leave our room step outside the door we had a security guard outside our door for two weeks and we just had to stay in our room now did they test you or was it just everyone had to Did they test you or was it just a straight quarantine? Uh, No, they do. They definitely tested us. They tested us twice. How are the numbers there right now? Because it was, Australia has managed it fairly well as far as the numbers. They've been pretty low, I think, but. Amazingly. There's like, there's been zero transmissions for weeks. There was actually one transmission just in Brisbane uh, yesterday or the day before, but. They're very good at contact tracing because you got to sign in everywhere. Yeah. So they're very good at contact tracing. So it's it, I, I, it's like life is normal. 
<laughs> wow. Well, okay, so, so yeah. you're away from little dude for a long time when you have to put all that into the mix. Um, yes. You know, so I'm just curious, while we have a few minutes left, I want to change some gears. And, you know, a lot of our audiences in the business world, we've got certainly audience from all walks of life. But, you know, as, as I probably mentioned earlier, empathy can be one of those things that, that business people kind of almost are afraid of or share, share from, you know, you can be very strict and, uh, you know, and you have to be very formal and, you know, don't, you know, don't show this or don't show that, you know, and, and people are so careful today. Uh, what would be some advice that, that, that you could give to help people, you know, be more empathetic? And what are some of the tricks and things that they can do to start moving in that path? Sure. I mean, yeah, there could be some resistance because it's doing something that you're not normally like trained to do. You're trained to sort of be more held back, have a work persona and a home persona, which is still fine. But just think of the positives of what having empathy in your business can do for outcomes. And I would let that drive you because who doesn't want to have staff retention who doesn't want to foster productivity, who doesn't want to have a positive business culture that customers like, like everyone wants those things. And I think at the root of that is being empathy, starting with the people who you work with, because you, you don't work in a vacuum, you work in a group, you work with other people. Um, And so I think it's important that you foster a community within your workplace and uh, some tips. I would say actively listen. I think that is a really good one. So, prob- and if there is a problem, problem solve in a timely manner. Don't just say yes, 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 and never deal with it. Uh, deal with it in a timely manner. Um, and if you want to streamline that process of the active listen, you could do a survey or a questionnaire questionnaire you know periodically throughout the year could be every Mm -hmm. quarter could be every six months where you ask for feedback from your staff and if you start putting it out there wanting positive feedback you know it doesn't have to be something lengthy you know you could give them that opportunity to give you feedback of how you can improve yeah um also ask questions in a thoughtful and meaningful way so Questions that say, I hear you, um, I understand your problem, and how can we resolve this? Um, So, yeah, actively listen, ask questions, and try and walk in their shoes. Try and understand their roles, even if it might differ from your own. And just once you get to know people, you might have a different perspective of where they're coming from. So if you're seeing a a co-worker who's frustrated or irritated, maybe you could follow up with an email. Hey, I see that you are so that you see them, you know, and then do you want to discuss it and and give them that opportunity to say, yeah, I will discuss it with you or they could say no too, but just showing that you um, want to understand it from their perspective. I think that's important um, and just get to know people who work for you, yeah. um, not just on a surface level. Um, yeah, you don't have to know the deep and meaningful secret lives of every employer you have, but get to know them. Do they have family? Do they have ch- children? How are they? You know, just just little things like that, I think, make um, a big difference. Um, and 
And I would say like having that comes from like having deep conversations um, and maybe identifying your own personal biases. Mm -hmm. So sort of kind of looking within, like where do you have biases um, and where you can change? Because maybe that's affecting how you're treating other people. Um, So it's like looking within as well and just asking for feedback. Um, I think that's an important part of the process and just little, little things, listen without interrupting, smile when you're talking to other people. That's a simple one of showing kindness and empathy, Um, giving recognition when appropriate, Um, using your coworkers names. So these are little things that you can do that don't require much effort, but can make a difference. Well, little things often add up. And, and a couple of points that you're making that I think are, are so important um, to maybe use some slightly different words, but you know, we talk a lot about the importance of being self-aware. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you do have to know your biases. You have to understand them because yes. that's the only way that you can kind of open yourself up to other ideas is to understand. It. And I, I think part of the trick is, is recognizing if you start feeling triggered. So if somebody's offering a point of view, how do you, how do you know if you're, you're being triggered? And if you're being triggered, that means you're probably turning off and not listening like you should. Are you really listening with an open mind to pull out the... Um, the, the benefits of what the other person is saying. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. You may not agree with them, but are you really, mm-hmm. are you really, really listening? So your, your points, I think, are all you know, spot on. I, I, I really like the way you, you, um, you phrase that. Um, you know, we talk a lot about when, when trying to be self-aware and feeling triggered is look for those little like body reactions you might have. Are you starting to feel tense? Right? Do you are mm-hmm. you clenching your hands? Are you wanting to jump in? Are you thinking? Are you thinking bad thoughts about the person? I know that sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but that can happen, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, I can't believe this person just said this, or oh, this person must be this or that because they said this. And have you really listened? And are are you really there? Um, I think I think it's hard though. I think it's hard to turn the judgment off, and I think it takes. It takes a real conscious effort to say you're going to do it. I don't think it's just something you you make a decision and and it starts happening. No, I agree. I think it's something that doesn't happen at a, a you know click of your fingers. It's something that has to start organically in little ways and do it in little increments. Like just say, oh, I want my office to be empathetic tomorrow. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It starts from the top down, and it's like just little changes. Start small changes. Don't think of the end result. Think of just little baby steps. Because as you said, little things all add up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, while we've only got a couple minutes left, I want to take a second and talk about your nonprofit. Um, Mm -hmm. So World of Little Dude, uh, for those of you who might be interested, um, and it's worldoflittledude.com, W-O-R-L-D-O-F-L-I-T-T-L-E-D-U-D-E. Dot com. It's a mouthful. Um, it is. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, g- give give us just a minute or two on on that and the work you're doing and why people should check it out. Sure. So, I uh, there are book series uh, teaching children uh, social and emotional skills, and they're books that you can read and sing, um, and which children love because children learn through singing. And then I also have a downloadable curriculum with very simple to follow hands-on activities 
any parent can use them and also school in a box which is all the materials that go with the lessons and you know from my experiencing experience uh, volunteering with the good dog foundation i volunteered with acs which is the uh, children's services and just having access to those children who are between foster homes or being taken from their homes it's really confronting and also during the pandemic they were stuck at the facility they couldn't go to school they couldn't have any outside visitors so i really wanted to help those children and so i started a buy one give one program where anyone can buy a school in a box and i would donate it to children in need um so i've worked with new yorkers children acs and i'm just about to launch something with a uh, church group in the bronx so just giving children access who would not have access to these materials and i think that's a really important key too um and that's a, an important key of my business is about being kind to others yeah so it's about practicing what i'm preaching as well because it's all very well if you have the means to sort of have access to all this information you have to have the means the intelligence the time and not everyone has that so it's how can we how can we share that with others that aren't as fortunate or don't have as much access how can we get this information to them excellent Excellent. Well, you know, I want to thank you for being with with us today. The world could use some more kindness, and I I hope everybody listens to this, because if nothing else, if it just gets us thinking about not judging somebody right off the bat and and trying to be empathetic, trying to understand their point of view, if we had more of that in the world, I think we'd have a lot less problems. And, And I'm just hoping this is the beginning of a big movement. I think I want to end this on a really positive note. I think it is. I believe in the policies that are being changed in education to start teaching all these important things from when children are three years old. And that's the most important time zero to six in a child's development is that age because that's when they learn all their foundational knowledge. So we get in that social and emotional learning then, and it gets carried and integrated into schools and into curriculum. So yeah, I think that we are going to face a more positive future with our children well that's excellent well thank you again for for joining me today cara and um, good luck on your travels and come home safely uh folks thank you for listening uh it's been a great show i please stay tuned we've got another great guest next week uh until then have a great week thank you for joining chris elias for this week's edition of transformative experts We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.